I want to start again with this truth statement. This is a truth statement. If somebody makes a truth statement, you need to be able to defend that statement. And we see right through the Bible, and we're going to see as we continue on in the book of Revelation, how Jesus proves that truth statement. Now, let me just say to you, He's not trying to prove that He is God. Neither should you try to prove that Jesus is God. You shouldn't do that. The Bible declares He is God. And you need to accept it by faith that He is God. Never try to defend that Jesus is Lord. Never try to defend it. Just read the Word. Just read the Word. If you're going to try to defend it with your own brain power, it's not going to work. Just read the Word. He says in Revelation 1.8, He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. That to me is one of my most favorite words and sentences that Jesus said in His lifetime and after. That is for me the platform that brings everything together. Everything. And if you adapt this and you make this the motto of your life, my friend, dear brother and sister, if this is the motto of your life, your life will be healthy. Listen to me this morning. If you make him the Alpha and the Omega of your life, if you make him the wise ease and ease to come in your life, your life is on the right track. And this is so important to start with that. So I want to go on into the passage I want to discuss with you. I'm going to read through that, and then we're going to return to that and pick it apart. John saw Jesus in Revelation 1 verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. One like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, girded about his chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool and white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in the furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand the seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, see now what happens with this man. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. When I saw him, John says, this man of God, this preacher of God. You know, I, I would easily, if John walks in here, I will give this pulpit to John. I will go and sit down right there. This is how I held him in esteem. But this man of God, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, which is his authority hand, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. Praise the Lord. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. What a powerful passage. 
Do you find it powerful as well? Powerful. Such a powerful passage. I want to talk to you two things. His appearance, I'm going to talk about that. And next week I'm going to look at his second truth statement like what he said. I have the keys of Hades and death. What does that mean? I will address that next week. But today I want to look at his appearance. You see, John explains to us how Jesus looked when he saw him. He explains us to it. I want to take you back the last time when they saw Jesus. And let me just say, there is no passage in the Bible before this that describes Jesus Christ, how he looked. None. Let's go and see how he looked. In Luke chapter 24, verse 36, we remember now that Jesus, they saw him hanging on the cross, being nailed to the cross. John, who wrote this, was the only disciple who didn't run away. He was at the cross. He was standing next to the cross and he saw how they nailed him to the cross. He saw how he was hanging there naked. And how they, they, the blood came out of him, how his face was beaten, his beard was pulled out. There's a crown of thorns on his head, there's blood dripping all over him. He was there when they put the spear in his side and he could see water and blood coming out. He could see the holes on the cross where they nailed him to the cross. That is a vivid image. Let me tell you, if you see something like that, that picture will never disappear from your brain. It will be stuck there forever. That is something that you can't unsee. Are you with me now? So how sad it is to see his master hanging there. And then in the final moments, Jesus looking down at his mother, and he looked at John standing there. He says to her, he says to her, behold your son. And he says to John, behold your mother. Meaning that John is now going to look after his mother like the oldest son used to do. So John saw him like that. And then they took him off. They, they buried him in a cave. And now the disciples is all together afterwards. And this happens. Now they said these things. Jesus stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and they were frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. They thought this is a spirit. They were frightened about it. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands, and behold my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me, and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. Now there's an important lesson here for you if you ask the question, how is our bodies going to be after we die? Jesus gives us an, a taste here of how we're going to be in our heavenly body. It's not going to be just spirits floating around. No, no. He says, come and touch me. Come. Put your hands on me. And then there's an amazing thing that happens as well. He said to them in verse 41, But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, He said to them, Have you any food here? So what do we learn about our bodies that we're going to put on after this body? We're going to eat. 
It's going to be fed. It's amazing. That's a different message, but I'll preach it to you. I'll show it to you in the Bible. It talks about fruits in heaven. So they gave him a piece of bro- a broiled feast and some honeycomb, and he took it and he ate it in their presence. So John saw him hanging on the cross. Now he saw him walking amongst them, and he could walk over to him and actually give him a hug in his resurrected body. He could actually see the scars. And then they saw him again. And in Acts chapter 1 verse 9, And now when he had spoken these things, they while watched, he was taken up, and, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. And, uh, who, who said, men, and he said to them, Men of Galilee, these men said to them, Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up into the heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him going to heaven. Now, on the clouds. He's going up into the heaven in the clouds. And he says that when you see him like that, and brothers and sisters, you ask me, why do I love rain? Rain comes from? Clouds. When I see clouds, I go, Lord, is today the day? (laughs) But you know what? If he's going to come in even on a bright and sunny day, he will provide the clouds, yes? How wonderful is it to serve a living God? But you see, brothers and sisters, there's no description of Christ before. Let me say to you, these children Bibles, you know, I love the Lord for them. He gave you a little ones. You buy them a children Bible and you open up and there's a beautiful picture of Jesus. And how does he look? He's got on a, a long white robe and he's got a beard and he's got brown hair and nice curls hanging onto his shoulders. Where, where do they get that? Where do they get that? Is there somebody who can give me some evidence of a photo or something they took back then from Jesus that he looked like that? That he had a beard so long, that he had hair so long? I know what you say. You say, but the Jews had these things, you know, the, this is how the men appeared. Yes, but it's not going to look like you, the, little, you know, the little picture that you see in your Bible, your children's Bible. It's not going to look like that. There's no scripture in the New Testament, Old Testament, that says this is how Jesus looked. None. And if you can find one, I, I want to see that. Look at what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 5.14 For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. So he's talking about Jesus. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves. Oh, let me just say that. That those who live should no longer live for themselves. Did I say that? Did I just read that? Let me read it one more time. So that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Now listen to what Paul says. Therefore, application word, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Have you seen that verse in the Bible? Did... Did uh, Paul see Jesus physically? Did he? Yes, he did. On the road of Damascus. Who appeared to him? Jesus appeared to him. So he also saw Jesus. 
But he doesn't give us a description of the Jesus he saw, did, did he? Like John did. No, he didn't. Then he went into the desert of Arabia for how long? Three years. What did he go and do in the desert of Arabia? He was taught by Jesus Christ himself. How do you think Paul got the revelation to write to us the most part of the New Testament? From whom? From Jesus. He said it himself. He said it himself in the Bible. He said, I went not to go and see the apostles in Jerusalem. I went to the desert. I went to a place for three years. How long did Jesus teach his disciples? Three years. This is why Paul is, is really an apostle. And now he says these words. He says, even though we have known him according to the flesh, the way we saw him, John, the way you saw him on the cross and the way you saw him in and amongst you, yet now we know him thus no longer. He doesn't mean we can't know him. He means his appearance we can't know right now. You are with me. Now, like I said, there's no description of Jesus, how he looked. Let me explain this to you in the following. Now that... That is not me, that is a photo of me, I just want to say. This is not my beautiful wife, that's a photo of my beautiful wife. And that is not our family, that is a photo of our family. If you go and you ask my school friends, do you know Isaac Joanna Shipman, which is my birth names, you know me John, some call me Saki. Do you know Leone? Toki. Some know it calls it Toki. Saki and Toki. And that, that fitted well together when I met her and I thought, you know, when we get married, that's going to fit beautifully. But if you go down and you ask my friends, they will give you a description of this guy over there. He had long, can you see I still had hair? It was hanging on my shoulders. The photo don't give it because I had blonde hair and it was really, but it was really just not on my shoulders, just, just above my shoulders. But this is why I say this is a photo of me. That's no longer me. That's just a photo of me. If you take that and you take it randomly and you go and show it to, to the church members, they'll go, we don't know this guy. Oh, he looks like. The eyes might look like. He, he may look like. But he's changed. And the same, you can see now the hairline is going back a little bit. But let's look at these two guys here at the front. Unfortunately, Sharia wasn't on this. It was before she was born. But who knows who that little fellow is there? It's my oldest son, Gavin. Well, let me just correct myself. That's not Gavin. That's a photo of Gavin. And that is Richard. And we know Richard has got two little boys who will soon look like that. But the point I want to make, brothers and sisters, is if you think about Jesus when they saw him and now he's gone up into heaven and you've got that mindset, that's the particular picture I'm looking for. It ain't going to be that picture. It is better. And I'm going to show that to you in a minute. But the thing here is, if you, don't have, if you haven't met me, if you're not my mom and my dad, if you're not my beautiful wife, and you look at me today, you would go, where did all the hair go? You look a little bit heavier than that, dude. But if you ask my wife, she would know me, and she would tell you, that is only a photo of me, it's not me. 
So I want to make the point again. When you open up those children Bibles and you see the picture of Jesus, we've been taught from childhood, this is how Jesus looks. That's not true. We can't see and know how Jesus looked when he walked on this earth. doesn't matter what anybody say. Now, I, I'm, not, I'm not going against it. I don't say you need to rip those little, because children is, is visual people. They like to see it. But you have to bring into them and say that this is, this is just a depiction of what people think Jesus looked like. Now, let's have a look at this now. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. You all saw that? Seven golden lampstands. What is he talking about? Who's the seven golden lampstands? It's the churches. We know that now. I mean, I'm talking to a crowd now who's already gone through Revelation. A lot of you study Revelation. Uh, I've got to be on top of, of what I preach. But look at this now. Seven golden lampstands. And what does the lampstand bring? It brings light. Yes. So Jesus said once to his disciples, you are the light of the world. And you are the salt of the world. Now who do we get that light from? From Jesus. Again in John he says, he came into the world and he was the light that came. And in that light was the life, eternal life. So I want to show you something interesting here. Because the lampstand doesn't give the light himself. The lampstand carries the light. Okay? You can't give anything to this world. I can't give anything to you as a preacher. I preach Jesus Christ. He's the light. And you know what? He lights me up. And I preach. And through me, His voice can light you up. And you just carry His light. In fact, in the Old Testament, I think the word there, the Hebrew word there, and I speak under correction, I'll go and check, is the word or. O-R. O-R means it is a light carrier. It just carries light. You and I just carry the light of Christ. We are the light, but we carry that light. And these lampstands is now the church. We as a church carry the light of Christ. Now look at this interesting thing here. If we go to the Old Testament, in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 1, I read for you. Now the angel who talked with me, this is to Zechariah, he came back and wakened me as a man who's wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see, Zechariah? So I said, I'm looking and there is a lampstand. How many lampstands? One. A lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. I want you to picture this. He says, I'm looking and there's this lampstand. And on top of this lampstand, there's a big bowl. A big bowl. And on the stand, how many lamps? Seven lamps. We have seven pipes to the seven lamps. And two olive trees. What do, what do they keep the light going by? By olive oil. By oil. So when you had the tabernacle, you go into the tabernacle, the seven uh, lamps were there, and they had to continue, the priests had to continue daily top up the oil so that the light don't go out. But now, in, in a spiritual sense, he says, Zechariah, what do you see? He says, I see one lamp stand and a bowl on top of it and seven lamps and seven pipes, the olive trees by it, and one right and one on the left. Um, uh, right and bold and the other on the left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, 
What are these, my Lord? What does this mean? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. Let's look at verse 6. So he answered me and he said, Thus is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Who of you quoted that verse in your life? Who of you quoted it? I've quoted it a few times. But you see, the problem is sometimes we just quote the verse without understanding where this verse sits. That is such a powerful verse. Let me explain to you. So he's got two olive trees which continually give this oil to burn the candles. That represents the Holy Spirit, my friend. Now this is how wonderful and powerful it is that the Holy Spirit in your life will continuously give you the power that you need in the times we are living in. Brother and sister, like those two trees, we are connected with massive pipes to heaven. And what comes through those pipes? The Holy Spirit. To keep your light shining. Now, I say to you, he says, one lamb stand. But can we see when Jesus talks to him, or when John looks around, did he see the one lamb stand? No. He saw 11, seven lamb stands. This is the difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament. What did we have in the Old Testament? We had a tabernacle, you remember? And what happened in the tabernacle? There was the holiest of all, and that was separated by a veil from everybody else, so that only the high priest once a year can go in there with blood as the covering for sin. And that flew through that process into the people. It flew through that into the nation. But then... And this is, the, this is the magnificent side of all. What happened when he died on the cross? That veil was torn from top to bottom, wasn't it? So that you and I have access now into the holy of all. We don't need that one big oil lamp, lamp anymore. We've got access to the lamp giver or the, the Holy Spirit giver. Is that exciting you? You should see the difference. This is the shadow. That's the substance. Now let me continue on. Now, he says there in verse 13, And in the midst of them I saw one like the Son of Man. And then he gives him an explanation of how it looks. Now the Bible says that the testimony will stand on the, on the witness of two or three witnesses, isn't it? The Bible says that. So we need to go and find and see if John was just, you know, what was John on? What, what happened with this man? He gave us this, this vision about Christ. You know, is that, has that happened before? And the answer is yes. Look at Daniel chapter 7, 13. Daniel now. I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the Son of Man. Look at this. Son of Man, Son of Man. Daniel saw the same. Coming with what? with clouds from heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near. And then to him was given dominion and glory as a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. And dominion is everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. Now, this refers to the second coming of Christ when he comes to set up his thousand-year reign. 
So he saw the Son of Man. And what is it? It says that his hair were like white as wool. Daniel chapter 10 verse 5, I lifted my eyes and looked and behold a certain man clothed in linen. Another passage, his, his waist was girded with gold of upas, his body was like beryl, his face like appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze and color, and the sound of his word like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled and hide themselves. I can do now a, a passage correlation here to Revelation, which is going to happen when, when the trumpets is going to sound, that, that man is going to hide in the mountains from the terrible power of God. This is coming. So we will see the Son of Man. But the people will see a terrible thing and run and hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my rigor was turned into frailty. What happened to John? He fell as dead before him, you remember? What happened to Daniel? He said, there's no strength in me. What happened to, to, to Isaiah? In Isaiah chapter 6 immediately he started saying, whoa, I'm living amongst the people with sinful lips. You see, this is so powerful and we need to understand this. The garment that he's wearing is the garment of a priest king. The priest king. He's the first one who held that office. The first one who could be a priest and a king. So we all know what happened to King Saul. King Saul was going into battle, and for the kings of the Old Testament, it was told to them, if you go into battle, you cannot do the work of a priest. A priest had to come, and they had to sacrifice an animal before they go into war. They had to sacrifice to God. So the king would have had to wait for the priest to come to do that. But on this particular case, what did King Saul do? He became so irritated because he couldn't see the priest coming. And what happened? He did the sacrifice himself. And that day, the kingdom was taken away from him. The only one who could do that is Jesus Christ. And who will also become priests and kings? Who? Us. But we will follow Christ. His head will weigh like wool. I, I can refer you to Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, which says that our sins were like scarlet and red like crimson, but He will wash it white than snow. Let me just say that these colors here, this brass here is a color of judgment. So I want to just quickly talk to you in the next 10 minutes about His eyes, His mouth, and His voice, because this is something we need to understand. He says that His eyes were like a flame of fire. I want to show to you something here, and you need to understand it in this way, because people don't, they can't understand and grip this. If you die today, and you open up your eyes in eternity, you will be looking into these eyes, and I'm going to show it to you. What is fire representing in the Bible? Judgment. And refining. Judgment and a refiner's fire. Judgment will judge the sins you do. The refiner, what will he do? It will burn and heat it up like gold, like silver, and all the infirmities, the, the dross will go to the top and you scoop it off. 
until you get the fine product. So a fire do two things. It refines you and it judges against sin. Remember this. When you die, you will have to stand before Jesus Christ. It's called the beamer seat of Christ. Not the white throne. The beamer seat of Christ is where you as a child of God will be judged. Not for your sin anymore. Because your sin has been taken care of at the cross. Your sin will not count against you anymore. Now if you continue to sin as a child of God, you will still go to the beamer seat of Christ, but whatever you did will be burned. You say, wow, that sounds crazy, preacher. Let me show it to you. It says that he's standing in the midst of these candlesticks. So in other words, he's looking at everything the church is doing. And who is in the churches? Is it the building? Who's in the churches? Who's the church? It's us. So in other words, if he stands in the middle of the churches and he look at what the church is doing with his fiery eyes, he's looking at us, at you and me. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. And this, is, this is connecting to that eyes. Look, it says in verse 11, For no other foundation can be laid than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We know He's the foundation of the church. No one, no, now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, he uses these things specifically. Verse 13, each one, everybody say each one. Each one's work, everybody say work. Each one's work will become clear. You see that? Each one's work will become clear for the day. Can you see it's a capital letter? What day is he talking about? When Jesus comes. Now, if you do not live until that capital letter day, when is your day going to be? When you die. Then you will wake on the other side and you will look into the eyes of the Son of Man, the Son of God. Now what happens then? Remember what the eyes do. Two things. It refines and it judges. Here is the, here, Paul writes all about this. He says, each one's work will become clear. That will become clear means it will be judged. It will come before Him. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. Now, do you think, <laughs> do you think that when you get into heaven, that Jesus is going to have a small little bonfire going on there, and He's going to say, come and sit next to the fire so that I can see your work. Do you, do you think it's going to be a little bonfire? Where is the fire coming from? His eyes! Everything you do right now, young man, young woman, mom and dad, brother and sister, everything you say now, everything you think now will come before Him. As, an, as, 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 as somebody who's not saved, when you come, you won't appear before the beamer seed of Christ if you're not saved. You will wait there until the white throne judgment happens. But now as a child of God, now that you say you are saved and the Lord saved you, you've got work to do. You can't just sit back and say, I'm a Christian now. 
I'll go to church on Sundays. I'll wait until this, oh, this preacher of man. Man, he can preach with fire. I like that man. No, no, that's going to last you nothing. That's wood, stay, and stubbles. Now, I've made a fire in my life. When I, when I want to barbecue and I put some fire in, what do I start the fire with? With wood. I don't put a few gold slabs in there, do I? <laughs> no, I don't because I haven't got them for a starter. <laughs> but I don't start a fire with, with gold and silver, do I? No, I've done that. So I put in a few wood and everything and they, they start the fire, but they burn and they become ash. Some Christians, listen to me, some people in the house of God, when they appear before Christ and He's going to say, what have you done, my child? They're going to say, I've said so many things. And they're going to say, that is wood. What have you done? You will look into those fiery eyes and whatever you've done in the church of God will be judged. It will be refined. It will be burned either as wood or as gold and as, uh, as, as some of these... Uh, Precious uh, 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 diamonds. Precious stones. And the fire will test each one's work. You see that? What fire is this? His eyes. He's going to test your work. He's going to look into you. And he's going to test your work when he looks into your eyes of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures... He will receive a reward, and if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. So my brother, when you do what you do in the city, keep on doing it, because once you stand before God one day, he will look to you through his fiery eyes, and whatever you do in the streets will be judged through that. When you speak to your family, and when you bring your family out, whatever you do, now listen to me carefully. This is why when I come and preach here, I don't want to preach here to become popular. Why? Because because God will know the intent of my heart why I became a preacher to preach the Word of God. And if I come in here trying to make myself popular and for people to follow me, know this, I can fool you, but I cannot fool God. I cannot fool the Holy Spirit. And when I stand before God, I will be judged for every word that I preach in my life. This is why I come here on a Sunday and pack it up. I don't want you to come and slap me on the shoulder and say, good work, pastor. No, no. If, if you do that, you put it into me that I can become so prideful and say, yeah, look at the good work I've done. If that is the intent of my heart, I could fool you, but I will not fool God. And this is why I keep on preaching the Word of God, whether there's one person sitting here and whether so many people come and left for right or wrong reasons. I cannot but sit and spend my time and knob over that. I need to move on because my work will be judged before God and so will your work also. This is serious to me. I preached this word now for more than 25 years. And I know one day I will stand before God and every single sermon will be played down. And I don't want to stand before Him and He says, 25 years of preaching is all wood. No souls. Nobody. This is important for me. It should be important for you as well. Can you see how powerful is Revelation you, you just want to get into the churches. There's, there's a lot before we get to the churches. Let me move on this, to this voice, and I'll quickly through this one. 
You see, the voice is shows as many waters. This suggests two things. The power of His Word is like the sea and all the streams of divine revelation that came through Jesus Christ. You know, He says, Jesus, one day He says, come unto me and I will give you streams of living water that will just gush out of you. He, he comes in, in, in John chapter 17 and He prays to the Father and He says, everything that you've sent me, I give unto them. Everything. But I want to get now onto the sword. And I'll finish with this. Because this is very fascinating and interesting. He says, out of his mouth went a sharp to edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in streams. Let's talk about the sword. Because the Greek word that he uses here for that sword in Revelation is the word romphia. Romphia. I'm not a Greek person. So I don't know if I say it in the right accent, but... You know, I don't, I don't know. Romphia. It just sounds a little bit powerful if, if I dry out the romphia. It just sounds so powerful, okay, and so dangerous. Because this is a dangerous sword. It's like a saber. It's like a large sword, okay? And it's used to kill and to destroy. It's used to kill and to destroy. And this is the word he used, John. He writes down, he says, out of his mouth went a rom fire. Do you get the power of that word? <laughs> it's a massive word, short. Now, I know the first scripture verse that will jump up in your mind when you hear about the sword is what scripture verse? Come on, where's Hebrews? Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. And I've used that scripture verse so many times, and straight away in my mind I go, yeah, I get it, I get it, that is the, that is the sword in, in Hebrews 4.12, but I want to show you the sword. He says in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of the Lord is living and powerful, yeah? The word of the Lord is living, it's living, it's, a, it's not a dead book, it's living, it's alive, it's alive, it, 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 it's a lot of power in it. And it's powerful. And then it says, sharper than any to its sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. And it's the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him who, who must give an account. It brings us back again to, to, let me just back up here. It brings us back again to Corinthians. You see? You see, the, the, everything adds in. It's like a tapestry coming together. He says it here. He says, this is what the Word of God is. Everyone needs to give an account. But see how skillful this sword is. Can you see that? Now, I checked it up. One would think, if you look at sword there in the English, it says sword. It says sword here. It's the same thing. Yet, when you look at the Greek word here, it used the word machaira. It's not as powerful for me as romphia, okay? Or maybe it's just me trying to push it out. You see, it uses the word machaira, and this means a smaller, more precise sword. This is fascinating. Fascinating. Because if you look what this sword do, you can't do the work of all of these things in this verse, what that sword's doing with that sword. You can't cut... Like that, that sword, you can't cut through all these little things here. This is a different sword. It's a smaller sword. It's a more precise sword. 
Now I want to give you, I want to put it in context now for you. When John saw him in the Isle of Patmos, he saw the Romphire sword. That sword is coming back to judge the nations. That sword is coming back to kill. And that sword is coming back for the battle of Armageddon. That sword is not intent for the children of God. That sword is not intent for the children of God. But it says He's going to come back. We find, we find in Revelation chapter 19, He's coming back on a white horse with the armies of heaven. And you know what's coming out of His mouth? A sword. To do what? To slay the nations, not the children of God. But there is a sword for you and for me. Which sword is that? It is the Machaira sword. Because the Makaira sword is what I've been practicing here this morning. I've been preaching the Word of God to you. And that skillful Word comes to you this morning, my brother and sister, young people. And that cuts between what? Spirit and soul. Between joint and marrows. And what does the Word do this morning? He discerns your heart. And the intents of your heart. God doesn't need a saber sword. He doesn't need a fire sword to do that with you. He will hurt you with that sword. And you don't need hurting. You need to be cut by the Why does the Bible say that we are cut by the heart? We are not circumcised in the flesh anymore. We are circumcised in the, in the heart. What sword do you think he will use to circumcise you in the heart circumcision back in the day they didn't come in and bring those little boys in there and and they come with these soldiers and they pull out that massive sword and say okay now we're going to circumcise the boy could be a dangerous disaster for that little boy oh the word of god is so powerful i love it and i pray that god is strengthening your that he comes to you as a surgeon and he comes with that sword and he cuts exactly in your life what he needs to cut. That is why, that is why some people will sit here today and they go, I don't get it. Some people will sit here and say, wow, preacher, you spoke, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he convicted me of something and he cut something off. And I will turn to the next person and I say, what did the word mean to you? And he will say, wow, it means this to me. It will be totally different from the previous. Here's my wife, and I can call her now as a witness here. In New Zealand, we had Bible studies, and I would do a Bible study, and I would use that, that sword, the Makaira sword, because I will preach the Word of God. And I will go afterwards, and I will ask each one going through, I don't know if you, if you guys were, Paul, in, in some of those Bible studies, but I will go around and say, okay, you, what did the Word mean to you? And my wife can carry me out here. We hear the feedback after one Bible study and none of them is the same. Why? Because God used His skillful sword on you. Don't mix the two. Be terrified for that sword. But we don't have to. Why? Because we are saved by the blood of the Lamb. Now, as I said, He fell at His feet dead. Some people go and they say, Jesus is my buddy. You know, I'm part of his passe. You know, we ride together, Jesus and I. JC is in the house. There's no such thing with me, brother and sister. When I speak about Jesus, it's with the highest reference. The highest reference. Now, next week, next week I, uh, I will talk to you about that second statement, truth statement, 
I have the keys of Hades and death. What does it mean? What does it mean when he says that? And I will show that to you. I'll give you an example of where Hades is, what is in Hades, where is Hades now, and what happens when you die. Five minutes after you die, where will you be? I will address some of that next week. Now, I just want to say before I pray, I don't stand in front of you and declare that I know everything in the Bible. That's not what I do. I don't want to stand in front of you. Some of the sermons preached, you might disagree with that. God bless your heart. You've got all the Holy Spirit and go to the Scriptures and study them. All I do is pro proclaim the word of the Lord in spirit and truth. Amen. Heavenly Father, we worship you this morning. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the understanding of your word. Father, there's always something beautiful new that you bring to us. It is not new revelations as if it's never existed. It's always been there, but you open them up for us. So I pray in this morning, Lord, as we continue and look through the word, that you keep on opening up your eyes so that we may, may be held your word. In Jesus' name, amen.